This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome back to Everything You Wanted to Know About Physics, a new kind of podcast from the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. I'm Dan Bennett, the magazine's editor, and today we're back answering Google's most popular search queries about physics with Professor Jim Al-Khalili. In this episode, we're talking about energy. More specifically, Jim's going to talk us through the laws of thermodynamics and explain how they provide the arrow of time and what they tell us about the universe and how it's all going to end. Surprisingly, this was quite high up on Google search ranking, actually, because it's something I obviously studied at uh, college, um, but then didn't really talk about it much until I got into this job at... uh, at the magazine. So can you tell me what is thermodynamics and, and why does it matter how hot things are? Yeah, th- thermodynamics is sort of the, uh, the the poor relation of some of the other big areas of physics. So, you know, uh, relativity theory and cosmology, particle physics, quantum mechanics, they're sort of sexier areas. Um, thermodynamics doesn't sound as, as as exciting, but in fact, I think increasingly we're realizing that um, it's playing a vital role in understanding, you know, trying to unify all our our um, um, phenomena and ideas and theories in physics. Thermodynamics is essentially the theory that describes um, heat and energy transfer uh, and the way objects behave on this large macro scale. So it's not quantum mechanics. It's not down at the particle level. It tends not to be at the cosmological scales, but it's the the everyday scales. And thermodynamics, I think, plays a very 
important role, particularly potentially fundamentally in terms of understanding the nature of time itself. Okay. And so thermodynamics has its own set of laws. Um, could you, this is a big ask, but could you try and explain the laws uh, to, the, to a lay person? Okay, so uh, yeah, so thermodynamics was developed in the late nineteenth century. Uh, people like Ludwig Boltzmann, um, um, Max Planck, and and James Clerk Maxwell helped develop it, and it's and it's linked with um, another area called statistical mechanics. Uh, uh, which we learn at school in physics in something called kinetic theory, you know, d- understanding the nature of pressure and temperature in terms of particles and molecules bouncing about. But essentially thermodynamics, as I said, is about energy. Uh, and so there are four laws. The, the, the first law is one of the most important in science. It's the law of conservation of energy. So it means that you can change energy from one form to another, um, but you never lose energy. It, it's, it's always uh, um, uh, conserved. The, the total amount of energy in a system is conserved. Um, the second law, which in in a, in a sense has, has sort of become even more famous, the second law of thermodynamics is something that people may have heard the phrase even if they don't know what it is. But it's what it says is that systems inevitably unwind they they wear out they run out of steam you you cannot maintain 100% efficiency and the way we we measure this wearing out running down is through a quantity called entropy so the second law says that in any enclosed system entropy inevitably increases you know your your kids bedroom inevitably gets more untidy over time uh, that's entropy increasing. A tidy bedroom has low entropy. An untidy, messy bedroom has high entropy. Um, and unless you do something to to change it, so you sort of intervene to tidy up the bedroom, for example, then you can't stop this inexorable increase in entropy. And the whole universe uh, ha- has an entropy associated with it, which is also increasing. The third law uh, says that... Um, that's a bit more sort of um, obscure, but it says that entropy uh, gets less as you drop the temperature. So entropy goes down as a system gets colder and colder, and entropy goes to zero when the temperature is zero, which is sort of an interesting, you know, when everything is slowed down, down at the tiniest level, dropping temperature means calming things down when everything is not moving at all at zero absolute zero degrees the the third law says entropy is zero and then it was discovered that there was a a fourth law that should have been put in but actually it's a law that the others rely on so rather than call it the fourth law of thermodynamics it, it became known as the zeroth law of thermodynamics and that is a really sort of basic one based on logic and all it says is that um it defines essentially the concept of temperature uh, it says, you know, if body A is in in therm- thermal equilibrium with body B, and it's also in thermal equilibrium with body C, then B and C will also be in thermal equilibrium, which is another way of saying the same temperature. So we needed the zeroth law to define what temperature is in order to make sense of the other three laws. Okay. And so we talked a lot about temperature, and that is, I suppose, a rough way of um describing energy is precisely i suppose mm, um, yes 
So when we talk about temperature, we don't just mean heat. And when we talk about heat, we don't just mean heat. We, we mean how much energy something has. Is that correct? That's right. Heat, heat is, is a form of energy. Um, uh, and you can measure heats, you know, the amount of heat, the amount of energy in, in different ways. One way of measuring uh, it, it and the way it uh, will sort of uh, exchange its energy, uh, a system will exchange its energy through heat with another body is, is in terms of what its temperature is. Ultimately, temperature is down to how quickly the the, the atoms and molecules of a body are actually jiggling and vibrating about. The more they, they, they move about, the faster they move, the higher the temperature is. Okay, so, so this, this, um, these laws sort of uh, get, you know, help us to make predictions about energy. So I suppose that's a rather simple question, but actually is a lot more complicated than it sounds. What is energy? When we talk about energy, there's lots of different types um, what what is it exactly? Yes, and energy, you know, it's one of those concepts, um, um, you know, a word that we all think we know the meaning of. Actually, it's it's quite a slippery concept in 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 physics. We think we understand what energy is intuitively. So, you know, I might say I feel low on energy this morning um, if I'm if I'm tired or hungry or not feeling very well. Um, if you're fit and well, you might feel energetic. Uh, and in, enough to, to to go to the gym, um, uh, so we just mean we have that capacity to do stuff. We got some oomph. Sometimes people use energy in a very unscientific way, which you know is is in a sense quite silly. You know, they will use phrases like "Oh, I felt the positive energy when I entered this room." You know, nonsense. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> nonsense. Or, or you're giving off a lot of negative energy. <laughs> no, I mean, there is a concept called negative energy in physics, but that is not what these people meals, mean. So there is really no such thing. But in physics, energy is essentially the capacity to do work. The more energy something has, the more able it is to do something, whether that doing means moving about um, um, moving other objects around from one place to another. It might mean heating up. You know, if it's got a lot of heat, that means it's got a lot of energy. Um, a battery has energy in the sense that it has potential to, to do work when you sort of connect it up to a circuit. It can do stuff, r- run an electronic um, device. So energy comes in all these different forms, energy of motion and gravitational energy. Light is energy. And at the quantum level, down at the tiniest scale, uh, energy really is is uh, um, composed of particles. So particles of energy, like the photon, the energy of uh, of the electromagnetic field. Uh, so all sorts of ways of describing energy. Uh, and then Einstein comes along and says, energy and mass are interchangeable. So so mass is like frozen energy. You can convert energy into matter. You can convert matter into energy. And we know we do this now in, in, in experiments. Uh, and so um, energy also have a, has a gravitational field. You know, something with lots of energy will also have gr- a, a gravitational sort of attraction to it. It can pull stuff to it like matter can pull stuff to it. So there, that's, that's a, a rather sort of convoluted way of trying to get across the concept of energy. <laughs> I think that was pretty good for such a such a massive field <laughs> in uh, a couple of minutes. Um, and so you you touched on it there, and you touched on it there a little bit before. So um, we have the key idea there of energy, and then a very important context concept um, that I think you get across really interestingly uh, in your book 
And um, again, with entropy, uh, it's quite highly searched for as well. Um, so could you just, you know, go back and take a moment to explain the idea of entropy? So um, entropy uh, is even more um, slippery a concept than, than energy, in fact. But so at a very basic level, I would say entropy is a measure of how disordered a system is. So I, I, I use the example of, of uh, um, a, a, ch- a child's um, uh, bedroom, for example, how, how untidy it is as a measure of its, its entropy. Um, but another example is a pack of cards. A neatly ordered pack of cards into all all uh, all the different suits and and the num- and numbers running in in uh, in order is highly ordered, therefore low entropy. As you shuffle a pack of cards, you increase the entropy. Um, similarly, as an object loses energy, if you know you put a ball on top of a hill, it has potential energy, so the potential to do work. We talk about it as also as having lower entropy. So entropy is again it's a measure of the ability of something to do to do work. So a ball rolling down the hill increases its entropy, loses the capacity to do useful work. Um, Entropy is now we're discovering that actually might play a very fundamental role in helping us unify the laws of physics. So there are different kinds of entropy. One of the areas of research that I'm interested in at the moment in in quantum mechanics, in particular an area called open quantum systems, which uh, describes how a quantum system like a particle interacts with its surroundings there are definitions of entropy uh, involved there so we talk about something called shannon entropy or von neumann entropy so entropy it doesn't just have one definition it's it's one of those sort of umbrella uh, sort of all-encompassing concepts that means different things depending on what you're looking at and you touched on it there that entropy uh, happens in one direction so we go from ordered to disordered. Um, what do we do? We know why that is the case. We don't know why that is the case. Well, so I don't know why that is the case. Maybe some other people do. Uh, you know, who <laughs> thought more deeply about this than me. But this is the se- this is the second law of thermodynamics, and the second law of thermodynamics says entropy always increases, and it's a fundamental law of nature. Uh, in a sense. It's down to, I guess, statistics and probability. Imagine you have a, um, a box uh, that's partitioned into two halves. In one half, you've got um, lots of hot air, and the other half, you've got cold air. So the hot air um, uh, has particles, molecules moving around very quickly. If you open a hole in the box and allow the particles to move backwards and forwards, inevitably, they're going to start to mix. So the hot molecules... Will will move towards the, the the cold side, and the cold molecules move towards the hot side, and so it'll gradually reach thermal equilibrium. On the on the on the entropy, you know, the therm, second law of thermodynamics way of explaining it, we say it started off in lower entropy because it was highly ordered, divided up into hot and cold sections, but inevitably, it's statistically inevitable that it will mix. So it's much more likely. And the same with shuffling a pack of cards. It's much more likely as you shuffle a pack of cards, it will get more disordered than become ordered again. So the direction of entropy and hence the direction of time itself is really down to statistical inevitability. But the the lovely thing is, of course, it gives a direction to time from past to future, which the other laws of physics don't do. Quantum mechanics doesn't give us a past or a future. You can can run the... um, 
the equations of quantum mechanics forwards or backwards, and it doesn't make any difference. The second law tells us there's a past and a future. And we think that has a very fundamental role to play in unifying the laws of nature. So, so can you elaborate on that a little? Can you tell me uh, how, how en- entropy gives us uh, a direction uh, for the arrow of time and what that tells us or could, um, could hint at for uh, a unification theory uh, for physics? Yes, the the um, the traditional way of talking about unifying the laws of physics and 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 uh, finding a theory of everything, you know, the equation that you can wear on your T-shirt, normally talks about unifying quantum mechanics and general relativity. So, quantum mechanics, the theory of the very small, and general relativity, Einstein's theory of of the very large and gravity. We think of it as unifying the forces of nature, whereas re- where relativity describes the force of gravity and quantum mechanics can account for and explain the other three of the four forces of nature. But we tend not to use, uh, to, to call upon thermodynamics and the second law and entropy in helping us with this unifying quest. I think my, my, my hunch is that we're going to need to bring thermodynamics into the fold as well if we ever are going to have a hope of unifying the laws of nature. And and the nicest example as to why it's important is because of how it defines time. So, you know, we know so much about the universe and the workings of the the laws of physics, but we still, still don't really understand the nature of time. We have um, relativity theory, which tells us time is the fourth dimension. It's a, it's a dimension, you know, it's, it's a, a, you know, like dimensions of space. We have quantum mechanics that tells us time is, is a number, a parameter. It's something you stick into your equation of equations of quantum mechanics, Schrodinger's equation, as it's known, uh, to uh, say, if I know the state of a system now, I can crank the handle and work out what the state will be at some future time. But I could equally crank the handle backwards and work out what it was in the past. So time goes backwards and forwards. It's just a number you plug in. Then you have thermodynamics, which says, no, time isn't a dimension. It isn't a number. It's an arrow. It points from the past to the future. So these are three very different ways of looking at the meaning of time. And if we are going to have any hope of unifying the laws of physics, we need to bring together these three concepts of time. So that's why I think thermodynamics and entropy and the second law uh, are fundamental in our understanding, our deep understanding of physics. Great. And so um, with entropy, what does, what does it tell us perhaps about our future? Um, not, not mine and your future, um, but the, the, the future of the universe. The very distant future of the universe. Well, of course, we have no reason to to doubt that the second law will continue to apply uh, throughout the, the the history of the universe and throughout into the future of the universe. And so, entropy, we would think, will continue inexorably to increase. And we're talking not just you know a million years from now or a billion years, but maybe trillions of years from from now. Of course, it depends on. Um, <sighs> the nature of dark energy if we you know if we fully understand it because it's causing the universe to expand ever more rapidly but if dark energy is here to stay uh, and the universe continues to expand entropy will continue to increase the the universe will become more and more disordered the the the, the issue of course is that um as the universe expands it gets cooler 
uh, and gets colder. And and there's that third law of thermodyna- uh, uh, um, thermodynamics that tells us that, you know, if as temperature approaches zero, entropy approaches zero. But at the same time, we have the second law telling us that in the distant future of the universe, entropy will increase. Um, of course, the reason... Uh, that, that, that there is no conflict between those is that the universe will increase to as near as damn it infinite size if it keeps on uh, expanding. Um, of course, stars and galaxies and planets and certainly all life will gradually decay, will gradually fragment, disintegrate. Matter may f- may collapse into black holes, which will slowly evaporate away. In the end, nothing will be left. We think other than just an an infinite ocean of photons. Thermal energy, just particles of light, just blowing around in empty space. And and it would be a system which, in thermodynamics, we would call the universe being in thermal equilibrium, which just means it's maximised its entropy, it's no good for anything, it has no information content, it just looks bleh you know, everywhere in the universe. So often this is what we also call the heat death of the universe. Very, a very boring end where nothing can survive. There you go. I've cheered you up. (laughs) Yeah. But better than now, I suppose. Um, So that brings me on quite nicely uh, to something. I asked my team if they had any questions for you and all the physics grads uh, had this one, strangely. Uh, which I think I understand what they're getting at, but um, maybe you'll tell me, which is where where do all the photons go? So I think by that they mean that, you know, we see all this light, which, uh, you know, is is made up of photons and they bounce around. And as you, as, as we talked about the laws of thermodynamics, um, they, they stick around somewhere. So where, where does it all go? Do, do you mean where does it all go at the end of time? Um. I suppose from now until then, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think they mean from now until then. Well, um, one, of the, one of the difficulties in conceptualising uh, photons that, you know, uh, lose energy is that a photon is a, is a, is a particle. It's, it's dis- you know, we think of it as a lump, a discrete little dot in, 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 in space. But if it's behaving like a wave, then it's also spread out. And as a photon travels through empty space and space is expanding, its wavelength increases. So you can't talk about a photon being in one place. It's, it's a wave. It's stretched. Um, it's a really difficult concept. It's, it's uh, to imagine, you know, a photon, to talk about, you know, a photon having a definite colour. Well, that is actually wrong in physics because colour is associated with the frequency or the wavelength of the light, uh, which is a wave-like property. So if it's a spread out wave, it can't also be a point particle at the same time. This is Heisenberg's uncertainty principle in a sense. Um, And so as the universe expands and light travels around, light always travels at the same speed, the speed of light. But we, we have to stop thinking about photons as tiny little point particles zipping around in empty space and bumping into each other. As the universe expands and, 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 uh, and cools ever further, the light becomes stretched to longer and longer and longer wavelengths. 
Uh, and so it's, you know, if something has a wavelength of, of I don't know, a kilometer <laughs> uh, between two crests, you can't talk about it as being a, a tiny quantum particle at a little point in time. So, so it's, it's almost impossible to try and visualize, have those two pictures of what photons are, are, are like at the same time, both particle and wave. Oh, so that's a great explanation. We did a lot better than uh, my colleagues. <laughs> um <laughs> And then um, this brings me on to just one other um, that I missed out. So uh, this is another one from the team. Um, so we have this idea of absolute zero, um, which is the the coldest uh, anything can be, which is an expression of its, its the amount of energy it has. Um, is is absolute zero essentially when nothing is moving? Is that is that a fair description? Yes, absolute zero uh, uh, temperature. If you think of temperature down at a fundamental level uh, uh, as uh, vibrations of, of, of particles, of molecules or atoms or, or the particles that make them up, then when you drop something down to getting closer and closer to absolute zero, you're calming down their motion more and more. You're slowing them down until they're not moving. Now, the the point is we can never reach absolute zero or sort of in a, in a similar way that we can never um, travel at the speed of light. If, if, you know, matter particles can't quite attain the speed of light, they can get closer and closer to it, but never quite reach there. We can get closer and closer to absolute zero, but ultimately we get down to the, the quantum scale where you can't, you can have a, the, the lowest possible quantum of energy and you can't get below that. So there will always be some sort of quantum uh, fluctuation, quantum vibrations that is the lowest, what's called the ground state, the lowest possible energy that you can have. Uh, and you can't get below it. You can never have absolute no motion, absolute zero. There's always a little bit of fuzziness thanks to quantum mechanics. Wow, brilliant. Well, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for listening to our new podcast. If you've enjoyed the last few episodes, make sure you subscribe because the next episode, we're going to talk about the biggest mysteries in physics. We'll be discussing time travel, multiple universes, antimatter, and the search for a theory of everything. Also, if you can spare a minute, please do leave us a review. We love your feedback. And we want to know what subjects you want us to tackle next. And of course, if you want more primers on the big ideas in science and technology, head to our website, sciencefocus.com, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And if you want to dive deeper into any of the topics covered, then Professor Jim Al-Khalili's new book, The World According to Physics, published by Princeton University Press, is the perfect place to start. It's a concise introduction to the most important ideas in physics now. And Jim is a wonderfully clear writer who takes the grandest of ideas and makes them simple to understand. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. This podcast has been created by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. If you've enjoyed listening, why not try out our magazine? 
In the next few issues, we've got a special report coming up on the progress towards a coronavirus vaccine. We've got a piece by Steve Brusatte, one of the world's leading paleontologists, on the mammals that thrived among the dinosaurs. And we'll be taking a deep dive into the space mission that will fly a helicopter on Mars. So, if you don't want to miss out, we've got a couple of special offers for you. First off, if you're used to buying your magazines from the shops, you can get your next three issues delivered to your home without needing to set up a direct debit. And you'll still save on the shop price. Or, if you're happy to set up a direct debit, we can offer you even more savings. And your first six issues will be just $9.99. Pick up what works for you by visiting www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash science focus spring podcast offer that's www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash science focus spring podcast offer